Hello, and welcome to another Book on the Shelf podcast. I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. We started a book club, but we never talked about the books, so we decided to start a podcast to talk about all the books. So our book club was about trying new books, new genres, and getting out of our comfort zones of reading. Uh, we wanted to be exposed to new stuff, which would kind of be like research that we could apply to our own writings as we are both writers. Thanks for joining us again on another Book on the Shelf podcast. Today we are talking about a book club book. Yay! Yay. Uh, We are still catching up on last year's books. We're getting there. (laughs) We're getting there. It's fine. Uh, Today's book is Eating the Dinosaur by Chuck Klosterman. I chose that because, as you have already learned from our favorite authors episode, I love Chuck Klosterman. Uh, I was listening to a Bill Simmons podcast last week, as we always do, because we're slightly obsessed with The Ringer, and that's fine. Because if you need other podcasts to listen to that aren't about books... Aren't about anything Harry Potter related, anyway. Go, go, listen, go listen to everything on the ringer. Although, binge read Harry Potter is great. I know, yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. But on one of the rewatchables, Bill Simmons and them were talking about, like, if there was an actor that you had season tickets to. Oh, okay. And I feel like Chuck Klosterman, as we know from the times when yes. I've accidentally already bought books without realizing, <laughs> I would definitely have season tickets to Chuck Klosterman. Nice. So when we were... Doing this for our book club, I wanted to pick one because I knew Jen hadn't yeah, read any. I hadn't read any. And it was one that I hadn't read yet, so that way we could both kind of perfect jump in. Basically, if you ever see a Chuck Klosterman book, you should just go buy it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. thought it was a good introduction to Chuck Klosterman, yeah. uh, who we have, as we mentioned, talked about a little bit uh, already on previous episodes. But I'll give you a little bit of information about him anyway, just to refresh your memories. So, Charles John Klosterman is an American author and essayist uh, whose work focuses on American popular culture. He's been a columnist for Esquire and ESPN.com and wrote for the Ethicist column for the New York Times Magazine. That's hard to say. It was really hard to say. (laughs) I concentrated very hard to get that. That was good. Uh, He's also the author of 10 books, including two novels and the essay collection Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, A Low Culture Manifesto, which is probably the one that he is the most well-known for, I would say. Yeah. And he was awarded the ASCAP Deems Taylor Award for Music Criticism in 2002. So that's pretty cool. Nice. This one is the sixth book written by Chuck Klosterman. It was first published by Scribner in 2009. Scribner? Scribner. It's probably Scribner, but I'm, in my head it's Scribner. And okay. I don't know why. Anyway. Because if you're a scribe, you're, you're not right? a scrib. Right? I think it's the way it's spelled. It looks like it's a short I. Yeah. Anyway. In the learning little, to pronounce words yeah, on yeah, podcasts. That's fine. So yeah, this book is a collection of previously unpublished essays uh, concerning an array of pop culture topics. It's sort of all over the place, which is fun. It had 13 essays. I'm trying to think kind of of the other collections and approximately how many they had. But it's probably about the same. Some of the books, because they have a different, slightly different structure, like, uh, but what if we're wrong? Right. That one was a bit of a bigger book and more like chapter focused versus... Okay essays and stuff. Although still kind of yeah, essays and whatnot. But it's typical kind of Chuck Klosterman. In my head it's sort of Seinfeld-esque. It's just like mm-hmm. random yeah. thoughts on stuff <laughs> that you definitely would not always think about. Like oh, for sure. when Garth Brooks had his alter ego project, which I completely forgot so about. So did I. But yeah, so there's an essay about Garth Brooks as Chris Gaines. If anyone remembers that from I only very vaguely remember that, but... Yeah. Yeah. Reading it, I was like, oh. 
Right. <laughs> that happened. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was so distracted by that. <sighs> but I really like the way he organized, I really like the way he organizes his essays with the, the sort of numbers and the letters. So that was a different structure. That was... Oh, interesting. From what I remember, I don't remember it happening in the other books. Apologies for any noises. We're just having a podcast situation here. We've recently sort of moved our studio in my apartment. <laughs> so she can't quite help us as much as she likes to. So we're slightly distracted by her because she can't figure out how to jump up and help us. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... I don't remember that happening in the other books. I would have to go check them. Right. But for me, it was a little different because it did kind of... I also found them to, like, jump back yes. and forth. Yeah. Which isn't something that normally oh, okay. happens. Yeah, I, I weirdly enjoyed that. Yeah, it definitely worked. Yeah. And, I, like, I liked that you could sort of keep track then of where... Like, that he was jumping back to something he'd already talked about by having the sort of letter. It was like, I'm talking about this over here, and now mm -hmm. I'm talking about it again. Same train of thought, but in a different spot. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. really great structurally that way. Uh, obviously, there was footnotes galore as I love usual. The footnotes. They're always the best part. They're really good. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I like that some of them are just hilarious asides. Yeah. And then other ones <laughs> are like actual more information, which is like like a typical footnote. Although obviously, like the asides are the best part. Oh yeah, definitely. Because they completely the have nothing to do with anything. Yeah, and they're usually really funny. <laughs> Out of the 13 essays, the two that kind of, I think, stuck with us the most-ish mm -hmm. mm -hmm. were the second and third. Uh, one compares Kurt Cobain, who obviously, well, I hope obviously, everyone knows yeah. as the frontman of Nirvana. Obviously, for our younger listeners, my heart breaks. And go look that up, please. <laughs> uh, but him and... David Koresh, the Branch Davidian, like, cult leader. Yeah. Which was kind of a super crazy comparison. Yeah, it was really interesting. But also kind of made sense. Yeah, it did. In a really weird way. And I didn't know much about David Koresh, really. But it definitely, like, everything he was saying about Kurt Cobain made sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I, I obviously, because I'm older than you, I do remember both... Because when, when, when well. was that? When did when did Kurt Cobain die? Nineteen ninety four. Okay. So because yeah. I don't remember that happening because <laughs> I was seven, <laughs> whereas I was fourteen. Yeah. So I definitely remember. Yeah. And for all of those that don't know David Crush uh, as the leader of the Branch Davidians, you may or may not kind of know about Waco, Texas. It was nineteen ninety three, so just the year before yeah. Kurt Cobain died. So again, because I was like 12 and 13, respectively, I definitely remember both. Especially because Waco was such a huge thing. Like it was like a 51-day yeah. siege of the FBI. And that's the name that I remember more than David Koresh. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Waco. But yeah, so I think about 10 people died in total. Like some ATF agents, some of the Branch Davidians. It was just, it was kind of a cluster of chaos because... Yeah. I don't know if they even now, like, really know who started what and right. how much the, you know, the ATF and the FBI, like, 
who started what. And anyway, it was just a huge, the whole entire like center was engulfed in flames and it was just, it was a whole bad scene. But anyway, the essay, which is what we're actually talking about yes. from the book, <laughs> just this idea of these two guys who were kind of really good at what they did, very mm-hmm. charismatic, but obviously like going in a very different way. When I think about like being a teenager, you know, Kurt Cobain kind of was a cult leader. Like, if, yeah, it was a huge thing. Like that was that was when music changed. So there's this like weird little thing. So at the very end of the '80s, yeah, New Kids on the Block was really big, but I was a little bit too young for that. And like that kind of genre of music was huge, but they took like a year off. Okay, because they had been like obviously touring the right. world and were super popular and just yeah. all of that kind of music. And that was right when, see, like, it kind of gave Seattle this okay. opportunity. So Nirvana, Pearl Jam, yeah. Soundgarden, yeah. Mudhoney, like, all of those ones kind of came out. And then, like, obviously, music completely changed. Yeah. And, like, just, like, completely changed. It's, but like, yeah. a very particularly 90s sound to yeah. that kind of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I was, I was talking about, I was talking to Sarah <laughs> at work. Yesterday, and she was um, asking me what my first CD was, and I said it was Big Shiny Tunes too. <laughs> and then I looked at the track listing, and I was listing them all off, and she didn't know, like, 90% of them. And I was like, what? <laughs> but it has such a particular sound. Yeah. Like, 92 to 95, completely and utterly, to this day, changed music forever. Yeah. That's always something that I've wanted to write. Kind of a collection of essays just like this. Yeah. When I was in university, in my head, I would always wanted to write a collection of essays about how music from kind of those years changed everything. But obviously, because that was also just like during my formative years. <laughs> but I didn't even know that you could like do that kind of stuff and right. reach a classroom. But now I can, so I will still do there that you one go. day. You could still write that essay. I know. It's going to be. It's going to happen. But anyways. But just, I really like the idea, because like... Obviously, not everyone thought David Grush was, like, an evil person. Right, obviously. Now people yeah. kind of do, but all of those people believed in him and loved him, and there's also people who think Kurt Cobain is, was crazy, and, like, he didn't... There was a lot of drugs, and he wasn't yep. the best role model. No. <laughs> the idea of seeing them in a different light, yeah. in a way that I had never really thought of before, I found that to be very interesting. Well, yeah, I really, I did really enjoy that one. I know enough about Kurt Cobain just because I think Kurt Cobain has that kind of status in the history of music where people know Kurt Cobain. They know the story around how he died and the whole thing with Nirvana and, you know, and Courtney Love and that, like, it's just, it's sort of, like, part of that music era's mythology. Like, it's such a big story. If you know anything about grunge and music and like the Seattle music scene at that time, you know where Kurt Cobain and And even if you don't, yeah. You still know that name yes. and that yeah. it was his thing. Yeah. Um so it was really interesting just to see him to get a little bit more information about Kurt Cobain, but also have him put beside a cult leader and looking at that kind of comparison was yeah, really interesting. Yeah, so if you read along, let us know what you think. Yeah. Or even just after obviously listening to us ramble on about this. <laughs> What do you think of these two men? How do you, what kind of light do you see them sitting in? Yeah. Because people sit in light. I don't know. <laughs> I know Either what you mean. Way. I know what you mean. It's fine. I think it makes sense. The other essay that 
we both really liked mm-hmm. was called Tomorrow Rarely Knows, an analysis of time travel in fiction. And it was focusing on a 2004 film called Primer. Have you seen that? No. Me neither. And we should watch it. It sounds weird. Yeah, like awful, but weird, but yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I when I first started reading the essay, because I did go to film school, mm-hmm. and that was still kind of right at the end of when, right. you know, from 99 to 2003, I knew anything and everything about movies, every movie that was coming out, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Although I had gone back to slightly smaller city at this point. But yeah, I hadn't heard about it. And as we were discussing earlier, we both have learned that we have time travel obsessions. Yes, which is completely true. And as soon as you said that, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I totally like that. Yeah, in my notes, I just started writing down different, mostly TV shows uh, that mm. had time travel in them. I even completely forgot about Doctor Who at first, which is weird because that entire <laughs> that is the show, time show is like that's yeah. what the TARDIS does. <laughs> that's why it exists. That's all it does. <laughs> but somehow I forgot about it. But it's really a, it's such an interesting topic because I think it's interesting. I mean, and he, he talks about that too, the way people are fascinated by time travel. Because, I, and I think it has a lot to do with the paradox of time travel. It's really hard to wrap your head around what it means to travel back in time. Well, and for me, it's like, because it always ends up being about what you do then affects right now. Yeah. And, like, because people are always talking about, like, going back and, like, killing baby Hitler and blah, blah, blah. But right. then, like, yes. all things. Yeah, because that's one of the examples he uses as yeah. the sort of paradox, right? Is that if you traveled back in time to kill baby Hitler, then you would never, you would never produce the timeline that required somebody to go back in time Times. to do that in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Just messes with your head so much. Well, and all the times that you ever see or, like, listen to people talking about Back to the Future. Right. And just all the different stuff of, like, the almanac and then the time yeah. and the thing and then the back and forth and then Biff was here and then they yeah. be bet on the thing and the stuff and it's just like... Yeah. Or even just the references people make to that now about how we're, like, in the bad timeline with Donald yeah. Trump and everything. <laughs> It's like, we're in the timeline where we let Biff run wild and everything's terrible. <laughs> Some time travelers screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> Please fix it. Well, then I always wonder, too, like, if we were to time travel now, mm-hmm. then, like, can you come across yourself? Or, like, are you only one thing? And then, like, you wouldn't, you would never come, like, in contact with yourself. Right. But then, like... In, I feel in See, most of the things you do, but then... But then there's also... There also tends to be a lot of rules about... Like, within that time travel of, like, you're not supposed to interact with your past self. For I'm sure. Gonna, I'm going totally to use Harry Potter because yes. I just finished listening to the Prisoner, the last Prisoner of Azkaban episode of Binge by Harry <laughs> Potter, which deals with time travel and Hermione's time turner. And, like, Dumbledore specifically tells them, do not let yourself be seen especially by your past selves because wizards can like it's happened before where wizards have killed their future self because they think it's some kind of weird dark magic oh. yeah but then everything that happens in that part of them going back in time had already like all the events leading up to the point where they go back it it's like it already happened right like there's one point where Hermione throws a rock at herself in Hagrid's cabin to get her attention because yep. they need to leave the cabin, which happens. She does get a stone thrown at her. She just doesn't realize what it is until yeah until she comes around. Or like Harry with casting the Patronus, he thinks it's his dad at first, and then he realizes, oh no, I saw myself across the lake, 
And that's when he knows that he can cast it. And he knew he could do it because he'd already done it. Which, like, it's it's such a mess. It's such a disaster to think about. But this is the point where it's I'm like just... a closed loop timeline where that thing always happens. So yeah, so it's not that I'm like not participating. <laughs> Part of it is my Harry Potter ness level is a tiny bit smaller than Jen's. Well, I mean, mine's but also just the like more. I think my mind's blown yeah. just trying to think about the stuff again. Right. But like, because if you, if one of the <laughs> If the past wizard right. killed the future wizard, yeah. wouldn't the past wizard still then get to the future? But only to that point, probably, where he goes back in time. Because it's a closed time loop. Yeah. So but that's just, just be... one possibility of time travel. Right. Yeah, no, that's just how it's handled in that <laughs> instance. But that's the question, right? Is I think that's one of the examples he uses in the book, and in, in that particular essay, is the predestination version, where yeah. it's our always already happening. Which I, I kind of like that because it, it makes it more concrete as if it right. could be possible. Right. Not that I'm not open to all the other ones. Oh, like, yeah, for sure. I'm cool with all of that. Yeah. Like, let's do that. Is this one of those things, like, on all the shows where right now we're saying, like, if we learn how to time travel in 20 years, we come back and, like, knock on my door and talk to ourselves right now? <laughs> the record no one no one has knocked on the door we no. did not time travel thank god <laughs> at this point time travel does not exist yeah or like the way the, the star trek reboot uses it the movies with yeah. chris pine is that that whole thing resets and produces a different timeline right so it's still kirk and spock and sulu and yeah. uhura and Chekhov, but it ends up following a different timeline because of what happens because the timeline is interrupted by the romulans mm-hmm at the very beginning of that movie and creates like a, so then that that's another one of the things that he posits in that <laughs> is the idea of the multiple possible universes happening, which, which is, is also messy and crazy. Well, and I think that's something I feel like in the last year I've kind of been thinking about more of just that every time a decision is made. Yes. Is that string theory or I'm not um, sure which one that is. I can't remember, but it's somewhere. Science of some kind. It's somewhere in there. But that kind of a thing or yeah. then like, I think it's like the many worlds theory or something yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like loops and yeah. stuff and how then that turns into that. So then, but then like some time travel, like, or would that be more like universe travel? I don't know. I'm starting, this is going deep places yeah. and we're just trying to talk about Chuck Klosterman who writes stuff about like But this is what happens with Chuck Klosterman <laughs> is that you end up with these crazy conversations. <laughs> oh, but yeah, going back, going back to Back to the Future. Ooh. That's when he's also talking about that weird closed loop one where he introduces the, the Chuck Berry song, Johnny Be Good, he right. plays it, and then it causes the question who then, who is responsible for that song existing? Heck. Right? Because <laughs> if he's playing it before Chuck Berry wrote it, then it's, no, like, can Chuck Berry then take credit for that song? Or is it just like, like, who wrote it then? Nobody, effectively. Oh. <laughs> Which is also messes with your head. Well, because, yeah, and, like, in, oh, my God, in one of the footnotes of that essay, they're talking about Back to the Future 2. Back to the Future 2? Yeah. yeah. But how... That's the one with the Biff timeline. Right? Yeah. And, like, he bets on a Florida baseball team that win the World Series, but at that point, the Marlins didn't actually exist yet. 
But, like, it's like, did they make it happen? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's so weird. Yeah, but the best part of the essay Mm -hmm. is the question that Chuck likes to ask people. Yes. When he's, and this is a very specific quote, when he's five-eighths drunk. (laughs) It's such a specific (laughs) level of drunkenness. I love it. Not like super drunk, not a little bit of five-eighths. Let's say you had the ability to make a very brief phone call into your own past. You are, somehow, given the opportunity to phone yourself as a teenager. In short, you will be able to communicate with the 15-year-old version of you. However, you will only get to talk to your former self for 15 seconds. As such, there's no way to explain who you are, where or when you are calling from, or what any of this lunacy is supposed to (laughs) signify. You would only be able to give the younger version of yourself a fleeting, abstract message of unclear origin. What would you say to yourself during those 15 seconds? I thought about this question for a significant amount of time when I first read this, and then I reread it today and thought about it for a significant amount of time again, and I still don't have an answer. I was kind of going over things yesterday, and I took, like, a brief second, because I was thinking about that, but it was just the, like, oh, what would I have thought, you know, but then I literally didn't even go that far. I didn't even try to remember myself as a 15-year-old. I didn't, like... I did. I was like, what was, what was I doing when I was 15? What would I tell myself? What was I thinking when I was 15? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I was in high school. I don't know what I, don't know what I would tell myself. Well, it's one of those things too, then. Is there, is there supposed to be something that you regret happening? So you want to try and like warn yourself mm-hmm. of it? Or do you want to, I don't know, like... Like, I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know either. I really don't. Like, I would kind of want it to be, like, a general statement, but... Or should it just be when you're trying to decide on what movie to see... Yeah. Go see something? Like, I don't... Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe it would be trust yourself a little more. Yeah, or like some kind like of like something like that. Inner but like that. as as Chuck Klosterman goes on to write in this, <laughs> I underlined it. He says, "All advice comes across like a drunk dialer reading a fortune cookie." <laughs> Which <laughs> if someone called you up and said, "Trust yourself more," <laughs> that's exactly what that sounds like. <laughs> so I mean, really, I don't think there's any good way to do it. No. Yeah. Like, what would I know now that I would want to tell myself in 1996? Yeah. But, like... I just don't... I don't know. You don't know about emo music yet, but it's coming and you're going to love it? Like, I don't know. You're still going to be trying to be Gwen Stefani until the day you die? Like, what? (laughs) I feel like that's the only thing that hasn't changed, but... Yeah. So, yeah. At the very least... Reading anything to a classroom yeah. makes you think. It's true. And there's also an essay about football, and I know oh, yeah. I came from a sports family, a super sports family, a super football family. I mean... But for you, I think reading about the NFL was a little The most new football I have ever actively watched was in high school. And that was just because our football team happened to be really good. Yeah. And so we always made it to, like... The finals and it was always like a big mm-hmm. 
a big school event and we'd like actually get the entire day off of school to go yeah. and watch the game. Um, but yeah, otherwise, like, I mean, my dad is really into sports and he's always watching sports on TV. I just never really cared. I, yeah. My sister plays soccer. Hockey is maybe the sport that I know the best. Yeah. <laughs> just, just so Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> But whereas the most football you've watched in the last few years has probably been here with my mom. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Absolutely. That's not even a question. That's, yeah. My mom usually comes for the Grey Cup and has a big party and tries to teach all of my friends how to watch football because she assumes they don't know how, which is fair because I mean, fair assumption, I was really grateful for that because I don't know how to watch football. (laughs) And she's tiny and has gray hair and screams and yells. That's so great. I love your mom. Like, arms waving, cussing. Yeah. So good. <laughs> as much as she does love Canadian football, she also, like, we've always watched mm-hmm. the NFL as well. Yeah. So for me, it wasn't that new, but just to read about it and how he was talking about how, like, that's such a an American thing. Yes. Even though, like, baseball's kind of called, like, you know, like, the American pastime yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But how football has sort of shape the country, but yeah. also at the same time how, like, in 20 years it might not really exist. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to think about that stuff. Yeah, and it was just, it was so interesting, too, when he was talking about the progressiveness of football versus sort of the conservatism of Americans watching football. Mm-hmm. I was very interested, the whole essay made me want to watch football, which I've <laughs> not wanted to watch a football game, really. Since high school. And that was really only for, like, the social aspect yeah. of it. It had nothing to do with the game itself. <laughs> but, hey, you made me want to... You made me want to watch a football game. That's saying a lot. I also wanted to mention that I really liked the one about going nowhere and getting there never. The one about the road trips. Because I have a low-key obsession with cars. <laughs> and he was just talking about road movies. Oh, right. Yeah. Which was really interesting. Not that I've seen a lot of road movies, I realize, but I'm, like, obsessed with the idea of road trips. Yeah. And so it was really interesting to read about him sort of, like, picking that apart and why why it is that we're so obsessed. Well, I mean, specifically Americans, but, like, Canada gets wrapped up in there. (laughs) Well, I think that's obviously for a few years now, started with Chicago. Yeah. We were going to go there. Yes. But I'm also now trying to turn that into Tennessee. I would totally do Tennessee, yeah. but I've always wanted to drive all the way across Canada. Yeah. But, and here, he finishes off the essay saying that, uh, road trips exist outside of reality. Cars are not just memory machines, cars are avoidance machines, and we will always <laughs> watch anything that keeps us from being here regardless of where that is or isn't. And I was like, oh, now I understand why I'm obsessed with road trip, because I just get to exist outside yeah. of my life. <laughs> True. Okay, so we're going to make that happen this year. Yes, we are. I have, my cousin lives in Nashville. Oh, this has never been part of the conversation. That's because I didn't really, <laughs> I don't know, I just always forget yeah. that there's a house there that she fair. lives in. Okay. It's fairly recent, so like it just always yeah. escapes my mind. But anyway, she lives in Nashville, so Done. we can probably visit her. Excellent. Yeah. So watch out for that later this year, uh, yes. podcasters on the road. Uh, But kind of diving into our usual categories that we talk about. Yes. Obviously, we've talked a little bit about the structural things, just how there's footnotes. and Mm -hmm. um, He was ending all the chapters with questions. 
Yeah, which was something that was different as well. And they didn't necessarily have anything to do with the essay, but it also never explained if they were real, if they were made up. If yeah, that was asking like a celebrity. Yeah, like were they interview questions? Or... Yeah, they read as interview yeah. questions, but very truthful, honest, yeah, surprising things. It was just kind of this little like tidbit, and then you're like, I thought by the time you got to the end, it would sort of wrap up and yeah. it would have all been the same person or something. But it wasn't, so it was just more stuff to think about and have your brain explode. Yeah, it's true. But that's cool. Our writing-related notes. <laughs> what we want to, or like, yeah, we always like to think about and talk about what we want to take away as writers from a particular book, whether it's their style or something that they've done particularly well, mm -hmm. or... And especially, like, as I was saying, how I always kind of wanted to write that book, mm -hmm. or, like, collection of essays of... It started off as just 1994, but then the more I found specifically when certain albums were out, it's more than, like, 92 to 95, 6-ish. That makes sense. Um, you have to, like, there's Weezer and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> 1994 being the biggest year. But just that, you know, and, like, I took that one class, and it was just, like, kind of personal essays, which this sort of is as well. Mm -hmm. So I just find all of his books to be very inspiring, and I have my little list of pop cultural topics that I could like. I have one of, of those in my phone as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, then now that like I've read so much of his work and like we talk about him on here and like trying to figure out if it's this weird inception meta thing where like if I write a pop culture essay about Chuck Klosterman, like am I, <laughs> then is that time trap? I don't know. I was going to say, is that going to mess with the space-time <laughs> continuum? But there's just, everything, it just always has such a great flow. It's super vivid. I just, if you yeah. want to read stuff that's Nonfiction, but pop culture and fun, but also like really smart and informative. Yeah. And like you always learn stuff about things you didn't know about. But it's got like a, like almost like a conversational kind of tone. Like he's just, yeah, talking to you about things. Even if it is about the Unabomber's manifesto. manifesto. That was super interesting. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty much everything in there was super interesting. I enjoyed. All of the essays. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is why I did recommend this book and why I always recommend Chuck Klosterman books. Yeah. This was obviously a special case because it was for the book club. Had I just started right from scratch and we're going to recommend a book for you, I may not have started with this one. Fair enough. I probably would have gone with Sex, Drugs, at Cocoa Puffs just because it was kind of that initial jump in. Although because we do have our obsession with road trips, there is Killing Yourself to Live. Uh, he drives around all the different oh. places where, like, famous musicians have died. Yes. So it's actually, percentage-wise, I don't know if it's, like, how much is more about, like, the road trip and the journey versus the actual stories and places, but right. that one's also very, very excellent. Nice. The most exciting thing is there is a new book yeah. coming in July. <laughs> so you can add that to my reading list. Yes. What's it called? Oh... Um, something about being <laughs> raised, raised, yeah, in captivity. There we go, raised in captivity. <laughs> I knew it was like a phrase that is a phrase yeah. people use, I just couldn't remember. And yeah, it's more, well, it's called <laughs> raised in captivity, fictional nonfiction. So I'm okay. very intrigued as to where this is going to take us. I don't know if it's real, I don't know if it's fake. We'll find out on July 16th, because... Y'all know I'm going to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> and at least this time I know for sure that it's not already on my shelf, so when we go to the bookstore... Exactly. 
I'm not going to, like, come back and just be like, oh, I already own four. Yeah. Never mind. You know. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to us talk about Chuck Klosterman yeah. and the Dinosaur. As always, let us know what you think. Let us know if you've read the book or any of his other work. Mm-hmm. We have another episode that is book club related coming yes. up next. It is Heartbreaker by Claudia Day. That was a pick from Jen. Yep. And that will be coming in two weeks. Yeah. And it's pretty short, so you would totally have time to read it in two weeks if you For sure, yeah. wanted to do that. You could do it. Yep. The cover's really pretty. It Whatever. is really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it's at least 50% of the reason I picked yeah. it up. Um, <laughs> yeah. We also just wanted, I just wanted to mention, we have a website now. Yay. So that's exciting. It's pretty much just uh, links to the episodes and show notes, but if you want to check that out, it's another book on the shelf podcast.wordpress.com. And you can leave us comments there as well. And it also has all the books that we. Yes. Uh, for the book club, so you can catch up and stuff that's coming up, as well as, again, with the show notes, links to things and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, you caught our. Instagram takeovers. Yeah. Recently. Uh, they are also saved in our highlights, so you can go back and yes, get are. to know us a little bit more and how our daily lives are. <laughs> like my ideal daily life. <laughs> I didn't take you to work because that no. would have been terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of did, but I got to work from home for that day, so it's yeah. fine. Uh, stay tuned for the tiniest little clip of our podcast yeah. interrupting everything. It's mostly just us laughing, but if you listen really carefully at the beginning, uh, she tried to interrupt us. And yeah. She wanted to contribute. Yeah, she did. <laughs> By the way, we will see you soon. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for listening to Another Book on the Shelf podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Another Book Pod and on Instagram at Another Book Podcast for updates, what we're reading so you can join along, and more book-related awesomeness.